0: The dark ages of ignorance and fear were over, and a new light of the Renaissance brought hope and contentment to Europe and to France. Men turned to the building of a new triumphant world and found joy in the beauty that they created. We'll have that story in just a moment after this word from a friend of ours. <laughs> the building of a new and triumphant world, and they found joy in the beauty they created. Jacques, too, put his hands and his skill to work, dedicating a part of each busy week to the building of the big cathedral. Jacques was a sculptor, a stonecutter, But in spite of his contribution, he was discontent. Of all the sculpture on the great cathedral, he could think of nothing less inspiring than the figure he had been assigned. Other hands and chisels shaped the likeness of saints and angels. His, the twisted face and form of a gargoyle, crouched against the buttress, hunched and sneering. And to make it all the worse, he had only to lift his head from where he worked, to look up into the face of the Madonna and the child, that the master sculptor of the guild had reserved for himself to do. And Jacques, knowing his own skill, grew bitter with every passing month. Sometimes it seemed to him that the master sculptor had deliberately assigned this gruesome little figure to him, so none would notice that his work rivaled his superiors. And now, on Christmas Eve, the Madonna and child were complete, while Jacques's quaint little gargoyle of a hunchback was still unfinished, for waning interest had slowed his hands. Tomorrow, all the people from miles around would come to the cathedral for Christmas Mass. They would admire and exclaim over the Madonna. They would laugh at his half-finished dwarf crouching into the stone. But then, this was no time to dwell upon such things. So Jacques retched his mind into the present and the laughter of his children around him, and gaily he joined in their Christmas games until it was time for telling the old, old story again. Jacques smiled across at his wife, Yvonne, as the children gathered close about him. Again, as in Christmases past, he told the story of the child in the manger. So you see, children... He concluded softly how each brought his own gift to the Prince of Peace, while the wise men brought gold and incense, the shepherd brought only a lamb. But each gift was equally welcome. It is not what you give to the Prince of Peace that matters, it is only that it must be given from a full heart. Sleepily, the children trudged off to bed, and Jacques stared moodily into the fire, until Ivan's soft touch on his shoulder roused him. You are troubled, she questioned softly. You heard what I said, that the gift must be given only from a full heart, and yet my own services to the Prince of Peace have been given with bitterness, niggardly and stingily. A man should live by what he teaches his children, if he expects them to accept his guidance. I must make amends this very night, If I hurry, I can erase the last sign of my bitterness and envy before morning. And soon the sound of his hammer and chisel rang out in the silent, frosty night from the cathedral. A light touch there, and the scowl on the dwarf's face was smoothing into crinkles of laughter. A skillful cut here, and the leer became an engaging, lopsided grin. The droop of an evil eyelid became a sly wink. Finally, Jacques rose to look at his work. He saw not an evil crouching form, but a dwarf jester, defying with laughter the fate that had twisted his own back. So engaging, so gay was the little fellow that Jacques smiled back at him. And then he noticed that it now seemed that the little dwarf looked up directly at the Madonna above. What an idea. A jester dropping a wink to a Madonna. Jacques feeling a bit... Apologetic looked up at her too And almost dropped his chisel in surprise By daylight she had been perfection itself Beautiful, aloof Perhaps just a bit cold and unfeeling But now it seemed as she held her child And looked down at the jester That her lips were softened with laughter Jacques shook his head A man got strange ideas by moonlight, or when he was cold and tired, he would have just time to get home for breakfast before Mass if he hurried. And by daylight, things would look normal again. But when, with his family in tow, Jacques came back to the cathedral, he found a great throng gathered beneath the Madonna. There were hushed whispers, softened by tender smiles. And the master sculpture was surrounded by bishops and lords, all congratulating him, Up, frightened by the unreality of it all. Jacques looked as one's face. Listen the smile, where Clister was tugging his sleeve. Here, he said, is the man you should congratulate. I see your stone cuttings on the ground. You worked last night. Yes? You worked a miracle. Where I left the Madonna cold as the stone from which she was carved, I find a Madonna tender, human, and wise as the one who knelt beside a manger in Bethlehem. Let me be the first to recognize and praise the master touch. You have given the richest gift of all. As though repeating an echo of words heard before, Jacques said slowly, Who gives all he can... Gives the richest gift of all. And slowly, too, his eyes sought the little dwarf figure on the buttress. And there it was, lopsided grin and sly little wink, looking up at the Madonna and her child for all the world, as though it knew a most amusing secret. Ever since Jacques tucks his youngsters into bed on that Christmas Eve of long ago, the little children of province France have always had a special prayer that they say beside the manger scene on Christmas Eve, a prayer that is poetry from the heart. We'll hear it in just a moment, but first something else from the heart from a friend of ours. <laughs> now the prayer of the children of province, France. Little Jesus of the crib, give us the virtues of those who surround you. Make us philosophical as the fisherman. Carefree as the drummer. merry in exploring the world as the troubadour. Eager for work as the bugler. Patient as the spinner. Kind as the ass. Strong as the ox which keeps you warm. Give us the sacred leisure of the hunter. Give us also the desire of the shepherd for earthly things the pride of the trade of the knife grinder and the weaver, and the song of the miller. Grant us the knowledge of the magi, the cheerfulness of the pigeon, the impulsiveness of the cock, the discretion of the snail, the meekness of the lamb. Give us the goodness of bread, the tenderness of the wild boar, the salt of the haddock, ...and the good humor of old wine... ...the ardor of the candle... ...and the purity of the star. The orange bright of flame... ...straight with blue or touched with red is a mysterious thing, isn't it? Blazing from a fresh Yule log, catching fitfully at the glowing embers, or curling from a candle it draws the eye and the heart. In Sweden on Christmas Eve, a huge candle is lit and set in the center of the table, and around it is laid out all the silver for the Christmas feast that will be held on the morrow. While the family goes to the Christmas Eve church services, the silver lays in candlelight. The golden orange candle flame flares and flurls and flickers, putting a golden touch on each fork or spoon or bowl. The Swedes call this blessing the silver. And now speaking of candlelight blessing the silver, Christmas shoppers find it's quite a blessing to find these days a helpful friend like this one of ours. Among the colorful notes in Christmas fantasy, gray is as intangible as fog, elusive as a ghost, fragile as a silken gray cobweb, and yet Christmas legend tells of a cobweb strong enough to turn back death. story goes that as Joseph fled with his little family from Bethlehem, soldiers searched for them everywhere, and it seemed almost inevitable one day the paths of the little fleeing family and the course of Herod's cavalry crossed. Joseph saw the mounted soldiers even before they saw him, but he had little hope of escape. Mary and the child rode a patient but slow little donkey. The soldiers would see them in a moment, and catching them then would be easy. But he tried, he turned out of the valley over a low ridge, and his heart fell. He had chosen a small canyon, walled in on every side. And worst of all, he could hear horses galloping and soldiers shouting. They had been seen. To go out of the canyon was death. To stay there, death too. But he would postpone it if he could. Perhaps he could still save Mary and the child, he thought, spotting a crevice in the rock wall. He led the little donkey hurriedly across the open space, just large enough for the little donkey to squeeze through. And beyond the narrow cleft, the crevice opened into a cave. Quickly he led Mary and the child in, and then the patient little beast that had carried them so far. Joseph himself stood just inside the crevice, holding his staff in such small quarters he could hold off many with swords. Outside, horses' hooves clattered near, and Joseph heard one shout, They must be here. Where could they go? They're here someplace. I'll lay to that. Brush crashed and crackled. Rocks clattered and rolled as the soldiers searched every bush and cranny, and Joseph, staff in hand, waited for what he knew must come. At last, the footsteps approached the cave. He braced himself and waited. Hey, the soldier yelled, Here's a likely spot. Wonder how we overlooked it. Other soldiers came on the run. Look, cried the first. A crevice in the rock runs back far enough to hide a dozen fugitives. Sure, said another laughing. Sure it does, you idiot. But it's one place we don't have to search. No one has passed that entrance for at least a day or more. See, look at this. You ought to learn to use your head and save your feet. The soldiers laughed uproariously, and, to Joseph's amazement and relief, they went away. When the search died down, Joseph himself went out, cautiously to be sure all was safe. He was still wondering why the soldiers had turned back when he and his family were almost discovered. But he found the answer easily. The whole mouth of the rock crevice was spun with a delicate spider web. Some busy spider had done a day's work in a matter of moments and out of silk had spun a web strong enough to turn back death. follows the Christmas fantasy thread also. Things need not look gray or thready or gloomy for you when you visit this friend of ours... A slap on the back A greeting of cheer And for you know it Christmas is here The order of turkey in the air The voices of children everywhere A flurry of snow from clouds in the sky a tinkle of sleigh bells passing by. A roaring log in a fire bright with warmth and welcome in its light. A tender thought for the days of yore, so quickly gone to come no more. A lighted tree as the daylight fades and evening gently draws her shade the tired child with a sleepy yawn and for you know Christmas is gone Just for a moment, hearken to these words by Grandma Moses. Not long ago, this famous grandmother who took up painting in her late years said, The world seems to be changing from what it was when I was young. There seems to be so much trouble, but why should it be? We are here such a short time. Why shouldn't there be better understanding? We have plenty of land and could have all the comforts of our needs. If we would only do the gleaming, Christmas would not be just one day, but by Christian living could be every day of our lives in this, our land of plenty. much of the seasons and of holidays and of fleeting occasions. We make much of the year's ending and the year's beginning, as though the stroke of midnight by some strange alchemy transformed the world and all the universe. But with all the changing times and the seasons, there are in the heavens those things which change not, those things which are eternal. These are the things that cause the world to keep its balance and cause men to return to moderation despite the strange doctrines, the false teachings, and fantastic schemes that trouble this age and this generation as we shall all feel the light of the world come Christmas Day.